With those readings, we should probably talk about forgiveness. It's kind of hard to pick another topic when literally every single reading speaks of forgiveness. But this is going to be a challenging message, as the gospel is challenging, it should be. It also is it's supposed to be life-giving. It's supposed to be freeing. Right? That's what a challenging message is supposed to do, if it's rightfully so. It should also lift us up and give us a way out. It should open us up to abundant life. And so that's what this message is supposed to do. That's what the gospel is supposed to do. Right? So that's my hope for today. So we're going we're gonna to talk about freedom, or forgiveness and the freedom it brings. But we're going to talk about forgiveness. So we must be clear about what we're talking about and what we're not talking about. But before we do any of that, nothing we say is going to make any sense. It won't soak in unless we first ask the Lord's grace to come and to prepare our hearts. So let's pray, okay? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, God of all compassion, look with pity on us, your children gathered here today, to hear your message of forgiveness and to seek this forgiveness first from you. Lord, we come as hurt and ailing people with all kinds of wounds and baggage and unforgiveness, and we lay them down before you now. Please take our hearts that are of stone and replace them with your heart, which is of flesh. Mary, in a special way, we turn to you as our mother, and you were given to us as such next to the cross, this price for our salvation, this price for our forgiveness. May you intercede for us until the soil of our hearts so that the good seed of God's word may be planted and take fruit and take root and bear fruit. And for this we pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, now that grace is active in us, we can talk about forgiveness. This is a very hard message because what we're going to talk about today are not the little petty things that happen all the time. In our life, we have all kinds of sins that happen against us. Some we think are sins that aren't, and others are little things that can be easily forgiven. What we're talking about tonight are the real hurts that have happened to us. And probably every single one of us, maybe one of you is free from this, and praise God for that. But probably every single one of us has had someone in our life that has hurt us really deeply. I bet you've done that for someone too. So we're talking about those moments of real injustice, of real hurt and betrayal, of real disgrace and slander, of real pain. That's what we're talking about tonight. How do you forgive that? Well, it's hard. It's hard, but it's not optional. Almost the message that is most pervasive in the gospel, maybe one of the most pervasive messages, is the command to forgive. 
Like in the prayer that Jesus gave, he says, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. That as is a very horrible word, isn't it? He says, the measure with which you measure will be measured out to you. Yikes. <laughs> That's not good news. He commands us to forgive. And, and we need it. Not because it's a command, but we need it. In fact, unforgiveness is one of the biggest blocks we have in the spiritual life for our growth and holiness. Unforgiveness, this, this anger, this hurt, this resentment, this bitterness, this jealousy, whatever form unforgiveness takes in you, that is a wall that prevents you from growing in holiness. You're hitting it, and you can't grow unless you are able to break down that wall. Someone has said, uh, drinking, it, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. They're not affected by my unforgiveness. I am. I'm being killed by it. I'm the one who's being changed and being tortured. Okay, so, so that's what we're talking about. Let me say what we're not talking about. And in my work with people, I'm discovering that a lot of people think that they haven't forgiven things, forgiven people, because they still think about them. Or they don't really feel good thoughts for these people. We're not talking about feelings. Jesus commands us to forgive, but you can't command a feeling. Jesus says, love your enemies. He's not saying, enjoy the company of your enemies. And we know what that means. He's saying, choose the good of your enemies. Will their good, even when you don't want to. So when we talk about forgiveness, you may have really forgiven somebody and still not like them, you may have really forgiven them if you have chosen to do the hard work of forgiving. If you have chosen, this is forgiveness of the heart. The heart is the seat of decision-making. So we're not talking about feelings. The Lord can't command you to feel a certain way. But we must forgive. Well, how? Well, lucky for us, we have a great teaching on it today. And in fact, in my opinion, this is the quintessential teaching in all of the scriptures on what it means to attain real forgiveness. So let's just unpack it. Let's just understand what the gospel is telling us. And let's take it from the perspective of clearly the most interesting figure, which is not the second servant who was forgiven the small amount. And it's not even really the master, although he's interesting too. Let's talk about the first servant. He's the guy who was forgiven and then refuses to forgive. So what happens? What happens in his life? Well, the first thing we know is that he owes a huge amount. That is a horrible translation. <laughs> what does that mean? That's actually not what Matthew says. What St. Matthew says is not huge amount, but he says he owes 10,000 talents. And one talent is roughly equivalent to 15 years' wages for an average daily wage earner. So St. Matthew is saying, from Jesus' mouth, this man owes 15,000 years daily wages. Now let me ask you a question. You're smart. What is the average lifespan of a human being? Is there any way this man can pay this back? 
There's clearly no way on God's green earth that he could pay back 15,000 years' wages. How did he even accrue that in the first place? A modern loan shark would have just, you know, way, like, long before 15,000 years. And yet, that's where we're at. So that's what he owes. He goes to the king who says, pay up. He says, I can't. Give me more time. And the king says, I forgive you. You're free. Go. You don't owe me anymore. Right? What's interesting here is that the man, all he asked for was just more time. So give me more time. I'll pay it back. I promise. And the master goes above and beyond and forgives everything. Okay, that's important. We'll return to that later. So then this man, what he should have done was go from that experience and dance down the aisle, right? He should have run out of that palace singing for joy, grabbing everybody he saw, shaking them and being like, you wouldn't believe how good of a master we have. We have an incredibly forgiving king. He should have called his wife and kids and said, your life is spared. Guess what? The king forgave us our loan. He should have hugged the king. He should have kissed the king. He should be elated, but he didn't do that. What did he do instead? He goes to his fellow servant who owes a much smaller amount. Again, that's a horrible translation that does us no good. St. Matthew says he owes 100 denarii. And one denarius is roughly equivalent to a day's wage for a daily laborer. So something to point out here is 100 denarii is, is not an insignificant amount. That's like a third of a year's wage. I don't know what you make, but 10, 15 grand. That's a pretty hefty chunk of change. So this man actually owes a pretty serious debt. Can you imagine somebody in debt to you 15 grand? That's pretty serious. But compared with 15,000 years wages, that's nothing, which is the point. So this man owes 100 days wages. And instead of the first servant running out of the king's presence, just overjoyed, he chokes the life out of this man and tries to take his 15 grand from him. How can you do that? So this, this here is the key, okay? Your students, you'll be tested on this. If you're taking notes, this is what you write down. This is what you're going to be tested on. By St. Peter in heaven. <laughs> it's a pretty big test. So what is the key to forgiveness? Well, let's look at this man's unforgiveness. And I think it's for two things. Either, one, he failed in understanding how much he was in debt. He had no concept of what his debt actually cost him. He had no awareness of 15,000 years' wage. Imagine this. Imagine you know, any random one of you come up to me and say, Father, I forgive you. And I would say, great. <laughs> cool. If I have no concept of what I've done to you, your forgiveness makes no difference to me at all. But if I know that I've harmed you, then your forgiveness actually soaks in. It means something. Right? So he probably has no concept of what his debt was. Or, and we call that presumption, okay? 
or he erred on the other side, and he didn't believe the master's words when he said, I forgive you the loan. Because remember what he asked for? He said, I need more time. And the master says, I forgive you. This man probably never even heard, I forgive you. He probably ran away thinking, well, he's going to be tough. He's going to ask me to pay back. So I'm going to get whatever I can out of this man to try to pay back my loan. He didn't trust in the master's real forgiveness. It's too good to be true. It can't be true. He failed in despair. Because that's what happens when you don't trust in mercy. You despair of your incredible debt. Okay? Now, when that happened, his unforgiveness here, the master then says, guess what? Since you couldn't forgive him, you now owe that 15,000 years again. You are now in my debt once more. Now, is this story sounding familiar to you? Is this, a, is this close to home? If you're anything like me, this story is your story. Okay, let me explain. Have you ever had this experience? You sin. You're sorry for it. You go to confession. The priest gives you absolution. says, I forgive you. He gives you penance. And you sin again. Maybe even before you get out the door, you're doing the same thing over again. So you sin. I'm sorry. I forgive you. Here's your penance. And you sin again. And you sin. Do you see what's happening here? Is this your story? Does this sound familiar to you? That you go to confession over and over and over again for the same thing and it never changes in your life? If that's your story, your story is this man's story and you fail in either one of these two things. You either have no idea how much your sin costs. I do this all the time. Let me show you how much it costs. Right there. Right above the altar, the crucifix. It costs a tremendous amount. All of our sins, every one of them, cost the death of God's Son. Now that's greatly costly. It, it's free for us. And so we take it for granted. But it costs a tremendous amount. And if we don't get that, we must learn it. But some of you, some of you get that. You don't need to know that message because you're crushed by that awareness. And so you might fail on the other side. You might hear the priest say, I absolve you of your sins. And you think, it's too good to be true. I still bear these sins. I'm a terrible human being. I can't believe I did it again. I'm just going to do it again later. You don't trust in the mercy of the master. When he says, I absolve you, he really means, go in peace. Your debt is forgiven. What does that kind of awareness do? You should be bursting out of these confessionals, dancing for joy. You should go to the next person in line and shake them and say, you wouldn't believe how merciful a God we have. Please <laughs> do not kiss the confessor. <laughs> There's a limit to your joy. <laughs> but you should be elated. You should be overjoyed with this awareness. It should change you. And if it's not, it's because it's one of these two faults. 
Guess what? People ask how I find what I'm supposed to preach on. I think, well, what do I need to hear? Right? Because I've been in every homily I've ever given. I basically just tell you what I need to hear. So I should be sitting among you. This is not condemnatory. We, it, thanks, Adam and Eve. Thanks, fallen human nature. This is where we're at. But these are our sins, either presumption or despair. Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word and my soul shall be healed. That but is the gospel. We must hold tightly to both of those. If it's just one or the other, we're gone. We don't get it. And what does this awareness do for you? Forgiveness is not for its own sake. Did you know that? Forgiveness is not just for the sake of us like going free. Jesus says, repent and believe in the gospel. Repent, forgiveness of sins, and believe in what? In the gospel, in heaven. That we are meant for the divine life to come down into our souls and one day enjoy it forever in heaven. We are meant for freedom, for joy, for peace like we never thought possible. That's the gospel message. Not just stop sinning and quit breaking the rules, but it's open your heart to the divine life coming inside of you. Imagine this. If I'm holding on to unforgiveness, I'm clenching unforgiveness, I can't hold this position very long. It's quite uncomfortable. And also, this does me no good. Only when I release that forgiveness, when I open my hands, when I say I no longer hold them in debt who have hurt me, now I can open my hands to, the, to receive whatever God wants to give me. The divine life. Okay. It's a two-part challenge. First part is... Hmm challenging. Guess what? Jesus says, pray for your enemies. So we're meant to pray for our enemies. We do that at Mass. In fact, the biggest, uh, maybe most significant liturgical action in my mind that hits this home so powerfully every Mass is the offertory. And that's when we bring up the bread and the wine to be given to the priest and to be offered on the altar, to be blessed and broken, and to receive back as his sacred heart, his flesh and blood, his soul and divinity. So that should represent every aspect of you, everything you have, your whole life, your desires, your anguish, your worries, the, the test you have next. It should be everything. So the challenge to you today is this. Place your prayer in that pattern to understand God's mercy and to understand the severity of your sin. You must hold them both in check. Okay, that's prayer number one. Prayer number two, think of there's a piece of bread for every single person here that represents everything you have to offer to God and to receive back from him. Place yourself in that piece of bread. Great. Also, pray for your enemies. Place your enemy. Place the one who has hurt you deeply in that patent. 
Give them to God. Release them from their debt. Give them to him to take, bless, and break, and give back in the divine life for the life of the world, for you, and for your enemy.